Hi, I'm Iris Muller. I'm a certified rehabilitation counselor and a proud mom of two children, one of whom has quadriplegic cerebral palsy and is nonverbal. And I'm Alma Schneider, a licensed clinical social worker and the proud mom of four children, one of whom has Prader-Willi syndrome. In this podcast, we discuss the uncensored truth about raising kids with disabilities. Prepare to laugh, cry, and hopefully learn something new. This is Two Moms No Fluff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Two Moms No Fluff. I'm Alma Schneider, and I am here today not with my partner, Iris Miller, but with my good friend and partner in disability crime in Montclair, uh, Nina Ancilo Swai. And we're going to be talking about another perspective on autism today. So I met Nina years ago um, at our parenting group, but I'm going to let Nina, I'm going to let Nina introduce herself to you. Okay. Hi, everybody. My name is Nina, and I am a mom in Montclair, New Jersey. I have two sons, uh, an 18-year-old with autism and a 15-year-old who is a neurotypical child. I live in Montclair with my husband, and I met Montclair. I met Alma probably 12 years ago um, when I was a parent living in New York City who discovered a school in New Jersey And I managed to get my child into an out-of-district placement, and I drove my son to school every day from Manhattan to New Jersey. And I did that for two years, and then we decided we were going to move here. Yeah, so I was, from, from the first time I met you, Nina, I was so blown away that you were going to those lengths to have your son be in in the appropriate place and it's amazing that in all of new york city um (laughs) you could not find that place and you found the place here in new jersey well thank you for for speaking with us um i have some some interesting questions for you feel free to delve in as much as you like or give as little information as possible i know that these kind of interviews are a little tough because you are talking about your child so you know, and it's out there. This is for the purpose of educating uh, other people in the community, but also to show people that they are not alone, people who have children with disabilities, as you know, but um, also for the greater community um, and people who want to uh, be allies to the disability community. So that doesn't mean we have to sacrifice all of our privacy for that. So whatever you feel comfortable with. Um, I would love for you to describe your son. And or we, we don't have to use his name, it's up to you. But um, if you want to describe what he's like in your own words. Okay, so our son Kibo is 18 years old. He is a very, the first word that comes to mind always is affectionate and loving. He's always been super huggy, super you know charming, smiley, which was always the confusion when he was initially diagnosed because everyone thought, well, autism, kids with autism have no emotions. They have no affect. They don't Mm -hmm. care about who's in the room. But he was always a kid that loved hugs, loved affection. And to this day, I can't tell you how many pictures I have of him, like grabbing his brother to his, to, you know, to his body, smushing him and hugging him. He's a big fan of Alma's. I mean, big fan. Um, he is verbal. He is very active. He loves all things sort of activity. So jumping on trampolines, riding bikes, scooters, swimming. He loves swimming. He loves the beach. Um, he's a kid that likes to be outside. He, he's always had good balance. He likes hikes and climbing. Um, you know, but he's 
very much a child with autism. He uh, has his moments where he has behaviors. He has a really hard time with transitioning um, from, you know, from activities or if there's something unexpected, he can have a real struggle with that. Um, fortunately, he doesn't have any health issues. He's not doesn't have to deal with things like seizures, which some teenagers with autism have. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have any other sort of medical issues, which we're fortunate for. He's a good sleeper, which we're fortunate for. So, you know, there's the highs, there's the not so highs. Mm -hmm. um, but he, 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 you know, for a long time, you always, you feel like your child is super unique. There are so many things about him that are very much a child with autism. And then there are things about him that are very much a child. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a good combination of all of that. He's verbal, as I said, and so he's able to express his wants and desires, but he's not the kind of kid that's going to tell you a long story about what happened today or anything like that. Yeah. But, you know, that's in a nutshell. Is, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And he is, I can attest to the fact that he is super affectionate. He is the sweetest. <laughs> he's like a teddy bear. I love I love that he loves to hug me, and um, I'm sure that that is not uh, always a good quality as a kid gets older. I know that that can cause some issues. Has that caused any issues for you with strangers or for people that might not want to be touched? Well, that's the thing. I mean, as a child, I'm, you know, I'm biased, but he was a beautiful little baby, and he was a beautiful toddler, and a child. And so if he went up and hugged a stranger, oh, who's this cute little child? Mm-hmm. He's also a black boy and he is now 18. He's about 5'10. He's over 200 pounds. Mm -hmm. You know, strangers don't take to this person just randomly hugging him, you mm -hmm. know? So that is his safety is a concern yeah. because people, you know, make judgments pretty quickly. Even, you know, my husband is a small guy and he's white. And so a big black child and his father and the height difference and the racial, the visual racial difference, my child is mixed race. Mm -hmm. um, it can startle people out in public. And mm -hmm. that concerns me, that concerns me because he can make jerky motions or he can stim mm -hmm. and if you don't understand it and you're seeing it from across the street and he's talking to his father who is a foot, you know, almost, you know, not a foot shorter, but significantly shorter. It can be, it can be startling to outsiders. And it, it, it does scare me sometimes about his safety and how people perceive him in public because of his size and mm -hmm. the fact that black boys aren't given the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How do you how do you deal with that? Like if if he's if he's approaching someone or if so, has someone ever said anything that has made you pause or that where you have to respond? We are very, you know, he's the child that will never be out in public on his own. He's always mm -hmm. going to be with a parent or with a, a, a caregiver. Mm -hmm. So I always hope that that will sort of give people the uh, understanding that this is not a typical individual, neurotypical individual. Mm -hmm. um, we've definitely been in places where, you know, we've gotten a look or a glance and then the person takes that extra step and says, oh, wait a second, this is a person with a disability. Right. Um, he's never grabbed anybody randomly in public. You know, mm -hmm. with friends, we, we, we've worked a lot with him to say, you know, you have to ask for a hug. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we teach him actively both in school and at home, best, the best ways to be out in public mm -hmm. so that we don't have those experiences. Yes, you can hug your brother, you can hug your friend Alma, but you can't hug a random person in the supermarket just because you think they're pretty. You know? right, right. So yeah, we've been fortunate to not have any you know, bad interactions with people in public beyond glances and stares. Yeah. And yeah, that kind of thing. Okay. And 
Um, I noticed that you use the term uh, uh, your son who has autism. I know there's a lot of talk in the disability community, in the autistic community, about saying my autistic son, you know, because it's an inherent part of who they are. What are your um, what are your thoughts on that as the parent of a son who has autism? So it's it's been interesting because we've been in this game. He's 18 now. Yeah. So we've been in this game for a while, right? So when we first started in this on this whole journey, he was diagnosed with what's called PDD NOS, pervasive developmental disability, not otherwise specified. It's a mm -hmm. big mouthful to say we don't know what's going on. So yeah. that was his diagnosis for a little bit. And then when he was um very young in elementary school, it was he's a child with autism. Mm -hmm. Told not to say he is autistic because mm -hmm. you don't say I'm a cancer. You say I have cancer. I'm mm -hmm. living with cancer. So that was that was the thinking then. And then you know autism became much more of a a, a condition that people spoke about. Mm -hmm. And there was autism pride, and mm -hmm. and they were very um, advanced people with autism saying, this is not a disability. This is not something to change. We are proud of who we are. We are autistic people. Mm -hmm. So my language may go all over the place. And I honestly believe that people should identify as they choose to identify. I am neither offended nor, you know, overcorrecting mm -hmm. with individuals. If you want to say you're an autistic person, sometimes I say my, my child is autistic, depends on who I'm talking to. and what point I'm trying to get across. You know, right, if I'm at the right. airport and I want to get to the front of the security line, I might say, I have an autistic child, yeah. you know? But, you know, sometimes I say my child with autism. It all depends, you know, right. on, okay. on who I'm speaking to in the language. I don't feel personally strongly about, you know, where the language goes, but if somebody says that they don't want me to say and I'm directly offending them and they want to be re referred to as an autistic person, my son has not said either way. He doesn't have that cognitive ability to be speaking about himself in that way. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I'll, I'll go either way. I'm not offended if somebody says your son is autistic or he has autism. Mm -hmm. It doesn't offend me. And from what I'm seeing from my son, I don't think he's offended by it either. Okay. But again, I respect everyone else's choices. Okay. Well, have you ever been in a situation where someone says you shouldn't say your son has autism? No, has it been kind of the other way around where you, you, where you are being schooled by someone who has autism or who, who identifies as autistic? I have not. Online? I feel like, There's yeah. There's a lot of online stuff like that. Yeah. I feel like when I was more active in autism forums online, especially when he was younger and I was looking for answers, mm -hmm. I had a lot of people tell me that I shouldn't say he has PDD-NOS, which is what he was diagnosed with at the time. And I used to say, well, that's what I was told. And I don't know if I should be calling him autistic if the doctors haven't told me that that's his diagnosis. Okay. So, but I haven't been told the other way. I haven't been told by an autistic adult that I should change my language. Okay, because I've just seen a lot of kind of infighting. I'll just use the term infighting yeah. online um, with people who um, uh, have low support need in, um, their language and cognitive abilities uh, getting very offended. So I'm just curious if you've if you've encountered that, but it says not not you have it. So at this yeah, point, yeah. I mean, I think I think you know one thing you always hear in the autism community is that if you have if you meet one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. So that right. tells you that there's a range of experiences right. and and challenges and 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 you know skill sets. So 
if that's the case, why can't there be a range of ways that we describe these people? That's how I feel. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And so again, if I'm if I if if John wants to be called an autistic person, whenever I speak to John, I will call him an autistic person. Mm -hmm. If Sarah wants to be called a person with autism, that's what I'll do. Mm -hmm. That's where I am with it. How about the term severe autism? Is that a term that uh, I've been seeing that term around a lot? Um, yeah. And there's a big debate about that as well. I'm curious as to what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I know in the new DSM, they changed how they deal with autism. So there's no longer Asperger's, mm -hmm. which was a diagnosis that people had. And those were people who were more highly skilled in terms of their cognitive abilities, their verbal abilities, their social abilities, and they were termed Asperger's. And then people who perhaps were nonverbal, needed a lot of care, you know, they were called autistic. And so there, for a while there was that division. Mm -hmm. And now everything is sort of, I think it's level one, level two, level three, and they use that kind of language. Mm -hmm. You know, I am so far, well, I'm, I, I'm much further into the game, 18 years in, you know, mm -hmm. sort of my battles are different from the, what they were when my son was five. Mm -hmm. So I sort of, and I've ridden the roller coaster. Yeah. So I've had, months when things were severe and I had months when things were mild. Yeah. And I, so what I think about when I, when I think about those descriptions is, you know, this is a child who is more independent than another child, or this is mm -hmm. a child that is more verbal than another child. Mm -hmm. you know, that it's severe, not a severe, moderate, you know, I always say my son is somewhere in the middle, but pick a day. Some yeah. days. Exactly. And, in a different, and the different uh, areas of life. Yeah. <laughs> very high support need in walking across the street, but a very low support need in figuring out how to use a computer or something exactly. like that. Exactly. So, you know, I've, I've met kids who are high, they're, they're deemed, um, you know, not, what is it? Not high need, low, you know, low support need. or low support need, but yeah. they're also, you know, bedwetters. So, yeah. I mean, exactly. you know, so it, it just, it's all over the place. And yeah. I think that I think that everybody tries to sort of, we're, we're, we're human beings, we categorize each other. There's hierarchies, unfortunately, in everything. So I think people try to sort of define where they, they are on the spectrum mm -hmm. with those terms, but I don't think they're that helpful because you need, your kid needs what your kid needs. Mm -hmm. And whether they're, they're deemed severe or not severe, they still need, if they need that speech therapy, they need that speech therapy, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So. Again, I, it's really, I, I sort of go with where people feel they need, you know. Yeah, it sounds like you're, you're more of a go with the flow. Like you've dealt with all, you, you, like you said, we've both been in this game a long time and things yeah. that perhaps bothered you earlier are not bothering you as much because you got bigger fish to fry. So exactly. people figure it out for themselves. Yeah. Um, but yeah. some people are very adamant about it and very adamant about, you know, particular language always being used. Um, so it's it's always interesting to hear, you know, different people's perspectives on it and parents. And a lot of people might be saying that I shouldn't even be talking to a parent about their child with autism because that parent, you know, shouldn't have a say because their child is, you know, the one who should be talking for themselves. Right. Um, my personal belief is that parents, it's a separate category, parents of children with disabilities. And we have our uh, needs and our preferences as well as our children do. So, right. Um, I mean, and again, I always look at it when I think about a child with cancer or a much more sort of 
accepted, acknowledged medical need. The mm -hmm. parent does have input. Yes. Parent does have a say. I mean, I'm not sure your seven-year-old is going to be able to have a well-versed um, explanation about the kind of treatment they want for their, you know, cancer. They just, yeah. you as a parent have to make some decisions. Yeah. And then you make your decisions and you have to be okay with them, mm -hmm. you know? And if you make a mistake, guess what? You can make another decision tomorrow. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. I think people often put a lot of stock in that decision, being afraid that now we've, you know, done something horrible. A lot of this is really trial and error, unfortunately, because we don't know exactly what our children need at that moment. And we have to play around a little bit. Um, you know, what I always say is everything works until it doesn't. Exactly. So exactly. That's it's like medication, that's you know. Yeah, it's, it's it's one medication that seems amazing. We might have to change it down the road and then try something new. Um, another question for you: Has Kibo ever done ABA therapy? Yes, he has. Okay, yes, and what is, what are your thoughts on ABA? And I and I ask because I know that there's a lot of debate about the usefulness of it. The fact that it's um, that uh, some adults, some autistic adults, feel that it was abusive. Um, so a lot of parents are afraid to use it for their children. A lot of parents say it's the only thing that's worked for their children. I'm wondering what your feelings about it. And if you could describe a little bit for people who don't know what ABA is. Okay. So yes, again, taking it 18 years into the game. Mm -hmm. I had, okay. ABA is applied behavioral analysis. And it's a process where if you're trying to teach a child a skill, you break it down into several steps mm -hmm. and you work with the child to master each step of the skill. And at each step, they're given a reward for completing that step, okay? Um, so for example, like let's take potty training because I did a lot of work in that. So your first step is your child being able to dress and undress themselves, mm -hmm. okay? And once they're able to pull down their pants and pull them up and each time you're giving them a reward for that activity, once they progress from that activity, now you're going to teach them to sit on the potty for three minutes. And mm -hmm. you're going to run that, that program until they're able to successfully sit on the potty for three minutes. So now you've got two sets of the skill. And now you're going to, and you just keep building until you get to the point where the child is eliminating and they're flushing. And it's a step-by-step -step process. And for each step, there's data taken on whether the kid could complete the step or could not complete the step. Mm -hmm. And yes, it can be very regimented and very sort of, from the outside eye, from the neurotypical eye, very looks very boring, looks very rote, looks very robotic, okay? Mm -hmm. I have had bad ABA and I've had fantastic ABA. And to me, at this point in, in our journey, I think that yes, bad ABA that turns your kid into this robot that responds a certain way to a certain thing and da 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 da, that is hopefully going out of favor. Mm -hmm. It's not the ideal way. I had a tremendous dynamic ABA at a program here in New Jersey, which is the reason I drove back and forth for two years, mm -hmm. where it's really just a process of teaching these children, our children, how to learn different skills. Mm -hmm. Kids with autism, I don't know, there's some number where it takes the, the neurotypical child, you know, several hundred trials before they master a skill, mm -hmm. whereas it takes the child with autism thousands of times. Mm -hmm. okay? So it's that constant repetition, it's breaking things down into steps, mm -hmm. and it's 
teaching step by step. That's what I view ABA as. And that's how it was when it was most successful with my child. That's how it was done for him. And it was done in a, in a, in a way that was much more, I want to say much more socially engaged and person to person versus somebody sitting here with a clipboard and writing things down and looking at you. And that was how it was done in the past. Mm -hmm. And they did used to use things like, unfortunately, they used to use in the past, not with my child, things like physical punishment, mm -hmm. things like taking away, um, taking away desired items, things like that, that definitely mm -hmm. were not the best. Mm -hmm. okay? They were not ideal. And there are some kids that were absolutely traumatized by that. Mm -hmm. You're looking for ABA. You want to look for a therapist that knows how to do it in a dynamic fashion where they're really interacting with your child. I don't want you sitting there with your note clip and that's not the way it needs to be done. Right. Okay? If your teacher can't spend 30 minutes with your child and then write notes afterwards, mm -hmm. I, I don't know that that's the best ABA. Your yeah. teacher should be skilled enough to be doing it and interacting and it's, you know, so that they're getting the information they need because ABA really depends on that data to show and to graph that this is right. their uptick and their success and it's working. You don't have to have that rigid data. Mm -hmm. What you want to see is progress. <laughs> progress. And in, in for the neurotypical kids, they get quizzes, they get exams, they get their grades and that's how they're, they're judged. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's how I, the four years of really great ABA that we had was, I, it was the best thing for my child. I mean, he, when he started at this school, he was, he was very echolalic, which means he was, he, he couldn't engage in conversation because he thought conversation just meant repeating right. what the other person said. They broke that in three months. Mm -hmm. So how could I say that ABA didn't help him? Yeah. You know, there were so many things, but then just like I said, everything works until it doesn't work. Right. After four years, it was no longer really the best mode of, mode of, um, education for him but the idea of breaking things down into small steps mm -hmm. celebrating when things are accomplished mm -hmm. building on that to have the final skill yeah it's possible. It's possible. that's my, my neurotypical kid too yeah. you know what I mean? so so yes i think bad aba is bad mm -hmm. and i'm really hoping that we're moving towards a point where people are understanding better ways to do things. They're understanding that, yes, you're not supposed to be using physical force. You're not mm -hmm. supposed to be taking things away from children and punishing them because mm -hmm. they don't understand or can't complete a task. Mm -hmm. Because the bottom line is you can't fault any human being for not understanding, okay? And so, it, it, well, we have to do it. In, we have to try it again. We have to try something different. We can move on to another task and come back. You don't have to be so rigid where it's like, we're not, we're not going to, we're not going to move on from this moment until he masters this skill. If this right. skill is hard, let's move on to something else and come back to this two, two months later. Maybe yeah. he'll get it then. Or maybe she'll get it then. And I'm very, I'm very interested in this topic only because people, there is a, a school of thought that there should be zero ABA, that it should be abolished. It's, it's harmful, it's abusive, but it sounds like you've had positive and negative and that it's, it's, it served its purpose for you. And great education for kids with autism. And your son, I want to say for your son. <laughs> is, is a combination. It's a little bit of ABA. It's a little bit of Greenspan, which is more of a floor time, mm -hmm. direct, get down to, not, not down to their level, so to speak, but get involved in where the child's interests are. So if it's mm -hmm. Thomas the Tank Engine, we're going to talk about that. We're going to do activities with Thomas the Tank Engine. But yeah. you can weave some structural learning into that as well. 
It can be, you know, it's just like in, 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 in schools with our neurotypical kids. Some kids are visual learners, some kids are mm -hmm. artists. If you can weave all different modes of, of education with any child, you're going to get a better outcome. Mm -hmm. But the old days that used to be, oh, are you doing ABA? Oh, are you doing floor time? Or, or. Mm -hmm. yeah, it doesn't have to be either or. And I'm really hoping that we're seeing some more sort of, you know, meshing of different, different modes of, of teaching for our kids because it just it always works better yeah you just you're, you're able to be fluid yeah and yeah. so so along those lines i know that um kibo has been in out of district private schools and he's been in uh the Montclair school district so what are your what has been your experience with kibo and his progress with inclusion versus uh i'm not sure if he was in a contained classroom uh but the different the different levels of, of inclusion that he's experienced. Can you just speak to that a little bit and what's worked? You know, Kibo has always been in self-contained classrooms in the public school district. And for, 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 our, for our son, that was the best choice for him because it wasn't just about him being able to function in a sort of general educational setting, mm -hmm. neurotypical kids. I was also concerned with how disruptive he could be to other children in the classroom if he wasn't in a classroom where all teachers involved had special education background. Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying so for us, the best place for him when he was in public schools was in a self-contained classroom. There were opportunities for inclusion, but quite honestly, most of those opportunities were here's music class, there's Kibo sitting in the back. Mm -hmm. But he wasn't, he was, if you're saying he's in the room, he was included, mm -hmm. but it wasn't, he wasn't really engaged Right. with the activity as a as an equal participant in that class. So my experience with inclusion in our school district was not great. It wasn't harmful. It just wasn't anything to really chat about. So know? I guess you know playing devil's advocate, some people feel that that it's unacceptable to be in to because they liken it to segregation when kids are in a contained class. What are your thoughts on that? Again, you know until you've really experienced it, I am not about putting a square peg into a round hole, okay? I can push and I could have pushed and pushed and pushed to have him in a gen ed setting with, with peers in a class of 24 kids with an aide. It would have been so hard for him. He would have been too distracted. There would have been too much going on. I don't think he would have been successful. Mm -hmm. I don't think he would have been successful. Do you think there are ways that the school, that the classrooms could have made it more inclusive with him being there? There could have been supports or accommodations put in place. I'm just, I'm trying to, 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 um, to get a sense of how, uh, that how people are making these choices because these, the resources aren't available or because they truly feel that it's not the best, you know, that you don't want to put the square peg into the round hole. The question for a lot of people is, well, let's make the round hole be better able to fit the square keyboard, okay. you know, the square. So what are your th thoughts and feelings about that as a mom of a kid who's autistic? I don't, I wanted our son to have an educational experience that was beneficial to him. Okay. Not beneficial to what my idea of what his educational experience should be like, what he needed. Okay. So 
for what he needed, he did not need to be in a classroom with 24 children doing his age level classwork. Mm -hmm. Because a child that didn't learn to read until he was probably 10 or 12, mm -hmm. right until yeah. that age. Yeah. So he was working on those skills for the, all that entire time. I do not believe he would have learned to read sooner if he was in a gen ed classroom. I think mm -hmm. that's a fallacy. I think that each child is going to develop at their own pace, mm -hmm. okay? And I have another child who is in, who's neurotypical, who's in gen, gen ed classrooms, and there have been children in his classrooms that are um, kids with IEPs, kids with special needs, and there have been situations where, from the stories that I've heard from my child, that child, the child, the, the, the child who was included in the classroom wasn't really part of the classroom. Mm -hmm. They were getting their education on the side, but they were in the room. Or if they had behaviors, it wasn't handled in a way that was sensitive to the child who was struggling. And the children who were there, it certainly wasn't explained to them. You know, there wasn't a true inclusive nature. And I think, I think for kids with special, with special education needs, every parent has to make the decision based on what they think the child is, will best serve the child. Mm -hmm. Not from an ethical standpoint, not, I will always fight for inclusion. I, I believe it's absolutely important. Mm -hmm. And I believe there are absolutely children who are differently able to can succeed in inclusion settings. Mm -hmm. But there has to be an option for kids who cannot. Mm -hmm. And my kid could not have thrived in a, in, a, in a classroom of 24 children going at the speed of a general ed classroom, learning at his peer level. He had so, he was so, he was delayed and enough that he wouldn't have, he just wouldn't have been able to keep up and he would have been miserable. Mm -hmm. He would have been miserable and possibly disruptive. And that also would get at his own self-confidence, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a complex decision. And I, I, I think every parent that believes in inclusion should absolutely try it for their child mm -hmm. and see what happens. Yeah. But sometimes you have to cry uncle when it's not working. Yeah, yeah. And, and open and work, continue working towards inclusion so that those supports can be in place so that everyone can be together. But right now, they're not there. They're, um, they're not there. They're yeah, not there. they're not there. Um, so we just have a few minutes left. I'm wondering two things. You mentioned um, that you have concerns about the fact that Kibo is a tall, big, black boy who has autism, what are your, uh, what would you like to see in society um, to allay your concerns for the future? Is there anything that you, I mean, I'm sure you've given this thought, but what do you, how do you prepare him and your family for, for, you know, potential, potential problems in society? You mentioned well, that you talk to him about, you can't go up to people. Are there any other things that you do or that you're concerned of? I mean, it's it's so hard, honestly. And there are times when I, 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 I'm terrified, you know, um, racism is a stain on this, in this country, in this world. And uh, racism plus ableism, you know, doesn't yeah. make things any better. Mm -hmm. um, I, I feel like it's it's a it's a real challenge um, to begin with because again, black people, black men are not given the benefit of the doubt. So mm -hmm. it's always like you must be doing something wrong, you must be a criminal, you must be a danger. You know, I mean, I I I I can't change how he is, so mm -hmm. the society has to change. You know, 
you talk a lot about, you know, being out in the world. Our community is fantastic. So many people know him in town. Mm -hmm. my, my younger son's friends know him. You know, making having our presence be known, you know, is, is a huge piece. But, you know, there, there are programs with police where they talk about registering your son. I, I have a problem with that. Why do I have to register my son with the police? Why can't the police take a beat before yeah. assuming that my Black child is a criminal or is doing something terrible? It's hard. Honestly, I don't have great answers. I'm in a Facebook group um, about with, you know, mother autism in black, I believe it's called, I can't remember, but it's, it's black, black families who have autism as, as part of their, uh, their makeup. It's, it's, it's a hard thing and I don't have the answer and it, it scares me. I, you know, I've heard tricks like, you know, if you're traveling at airports, make sure that you're, someone is wearing a t-shirt that has an autism slogan on it so that people can quickly see, oh, this is a family with autism, yeah. you know, and I, and I get all of that, but it's, the society needs to change. We all need to be accepting of even people on crutches who are walking yeah. slow. Yeah. You know, like the ableism in the world in general is a struggle and then adding racism to the pie is, it's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh. Yeah. Fa friends, family, you know, advocacy. That's, that's what I try to do, but it's, it's so much bigger than, than, you know. Yeah. We all have to be doing it. And yeah. not just people who have children with disabilities um, and or people and or people who have disabilities themselves. Yeah. All right. Well, last but last, last but not least, um, what would you tell a parent who has recently who has just gotten a diagnosis of autism for their child? What would be your biggest if you could tell them one or two things, what would they be? Okay, so the first thing I would say is your child is the child you loved yesterday before you had the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Love your child. You are their parent. And that is a mistake that I made early in our journey. You are their parent, not their teacher. Mm -hmm. Your job is to love them. Your job is to create a home where they feel safe, mm -hmm. where they feel comfort. Mm -hmm. Be their mom, be their dad. Okay. You hire teachers, hire therapists, but you are their mom. And sometimes teachers and therapists will say, go home and do this. No, no you're their mom. So mm -hmm. you can be their mom and you can love on them and you can, you know, that's your job. And the second thing is your story is not written yet. Your story is not written. Nobody knows how the story is going to end. Okay. I had somebody tell me when my son was two, oh, he's never going to do this and he's never going to do that. I laugh, you know, how did they know he was two years old? How do you know that about anybody? So I tell every parent who comes to, who I speak to, and I speak to parents all the time who've recently been diagnosed, your story is not written, you know? So there's always a way, you may not know it, you may never have heard about it. You know, I know things now that I didn't know two years ago. Mm -hmm. you know? Your story is not written. Yeah. Your story is not written, yeah. so yeah. All right, well, that's great. That is great advice. Um, I think we all need to hear that. Even people with typical children. Absolutely, <laughs> you know this. There are typical children. It's we don't know. We just don't know, and we just have to be hopeful and love our kids, <laughs> and and work our asses off for <laughs> to advocate for them. Absolutely, advocate, advocate. You know, research, make a choice, yeah. live with it, and if you have to change your decision, it's fine. We're all on this journey. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for your candor. I really appreciate you being here. You're a wonderful asset in our community and um, 
I just appreciate you. So thank you so much, right. everyone. Thank you. Thank you for, for tuning in and uh, please put your comments on our Facebook page to Moms No Fluff if you have anything to add or if you want to ask Nina anything. And thank you again. Don't forget to give us a five-star review and uh, this will allow other people to hear what needs to be heard. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nina. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. For more information, please go to www.2momsnofluff.com. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and give it a five-star rating so more people can hear it. Thank you.